0: Hello and welcome
1: to Dirty Hands, Dirty Mouth, Episode 3, Horny and Grass-Fed.
2: Good evening, bigots. This is Juicy Bigot and I am your dirty hand.
1: And I am your dirty mouth.
3: And I'm your third wheel boomer.
0: And I'm the fellow with the horny and grass-fed critters.
1: So we have here Casper uh, the Medic who's kind of someone who's kind of been lurking around the community who's a pretty interesting guy so he he is from South Africa he's a South African and he was a I believe a field medic in the South African military so that's pretty cool I know we've got a lot of vets around here uh, and he ra- he raises respectful. pretty much everything so we're gonna start by by asking him about goats because he's he's got a lot of them so with with goats what are what do you say the major breeds like what kind of breeds do you deal with?
4: uh the two breeds that I have right now are uh Bordeaux, so they are a South African breed of doe breed of, of goat um and I have crossed them with a Nubian, which is a North African breed of goat because they are hardy, they're cold resistant, they're really good at converting anything they eat into meat. And the particular breed I have got are for meat. They are not milking goats. Um, Milking goats require way more work than I'm ready to put into the farm just yet. And a milking station and stalls. And yeah, it's it's a level of work above I'm not ready for.
1: So you're just sticking to meat right now then?
4: Yep. Just supply me good, clean red meat that grows within a season, and I can put eight goats in the equivalent land that I can put one cow in. So,
1: so goats are kind of infamous for just being like lawnmowers that just eat grass like like a, a guy in a 400-pound man in a buffet, right? So um, do, you, do you just feed them straight up grass, or what, what's the kind of feed like for these guys?
4: Actually, the Basic concept behind goats is wrong. They're not grazers, they're browsers. Um, they eat grass as a secondary. They prefer shrubbery and deciduous and coniferous and anything that grows up in bush or tree form, they prefer that over grass. So yes, they do eat grass, but that's generally only in the winter after they've fattened up in the summer of grazing,
1: off browsing. So then that's why goats would prefer the mountains or the uh, the hills.
4: Yeah, forested areas. I'm basically using them for underbrush clearing and to keep the mozzies down. I let them go wherever they want, and they eat everything off to six foot above the ground.
1: Wow, that's, that, that's interesting. Um, I don't know how many people in this community have ever had goat before goat meat. It's actually the most widely consumed red meat in the world, because you have to account for China and India. India, you have a lot of Hindus and eat eat beef. Um, but it's 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 quite a lean red meat. It has uh, a bit of a tang to it, but it's it's good once you get used to it. Uh, if you go to, say, like an East Indian place, you almost guaranteed you'll find goat on the menu and you could have something. And if you go to, like, a, a halal butcher, if you live in a big city, almost another guarantee that they'll have goat. So that's that's probably your best place to find it unless you want to venture out into the countryside and find a farmer who's raising them like, like Casper here.
4: Yeah. Um, goats, the closest I can equate it to is white tailed deer from a cedar swamp. It's got a strong flavor to it. Um, as opposed to your white tailed deer from say a farmland with corn or grain or something like that. Um, It's distinct. You you are correct. And it is absolutely delicious. And it cooks up really well. And it's got a high protein content. Um, It's phenomenal stuff. I love it. Absolutely love it.
1: Goat's milk is a a product that's actually been around for a while. but It's it's kind of tough to find these days. I've I've had it before myself. And it it actually tastes like goat meat. It's very similar in flavor. It's an acquired taste for sure. I, I don't know how many people here have tried goat's milk before, but it's it's it, it, it's different. Um, have any of you guys tried goat's milk before? I oh, yeah. actually
2: had a have a dairy allergy that I've had all my life. And when I was a kid, my mother um, resorted to feeding me goat's milk because for some reason I'm allergic to cow milk but not goat milk and goat cheese. So I eat a lot of goat cheese. I do not drink goat's milk, though, because I don't drink any milk.
4: So the reasoning on that is the different proteins in the milk. Um, goat's milk has a very different form of protein in it than cow's milk does. So it dissolves in the body differently. It reacts with your immune system differently. And there's a huge difference between drinking raw milk, which is fresh on the animal and run through a filter, versus the processed stuff you can purchase in the store. Um, and yes, the goats I have will produce milk, but they'll give you about a cup a day. Per goat, so as opposed to a liter a day per goat for a milking goat, four cups a day, kind of thing. So it, it's it's quite a difference, and it is good. I love goat's milk as well, um, fresh, just chilled. It is phenomenal.
1: So, Casper <laughs> so, uh, has been kind enough to give us just a ton of pictures of uh, all the animals and, and, and scenery on his farm. So. I'm going to pull up a couple of pictures of goats here just to give you guys an idea of what he's working with.
4: Yeah, you're welcome to use the one with the back of my kids. It's all good.
1: So here we have just a couple of goats just uh, just resting in some hay, and they're, they're pretty damn cute, I have to admit. I, when I think goats, I don't think of that. They were two days old at that point.
0: Um, so
4: just up, just running around, they'd had their first milk and first poops, and
0: they're starting to get bouncy, yeah. And then we have goats here, a little older, and then they're out and about in the clover. Yeah. That was, uh, oh, about 10 weeks later. Now it was
4: still really dry. As you can see, I've got patchy areas there. So it's the second year growth where it's tall and first year growth where it's short.
0: Um, Yeah.
4: And the, the brown one in the front is a year old. The white and brown with the pink collar next to the little black baby and the brown for white baby in the back. That one is um, Sabrina and she is three years old. And the tail end disappearing on the right side of the screen. And the two white tailed black spot ones on the right, those are her babies, and she is four years old. And the brown baby is is Lily's, the one on the right's her baby.
1: Now, here we have an actual goat carcass. This is like, how, how old is a goat when you slaughter it? I think that was a
0: sheep. That was a sheep carcass. I got a, a sheep from another,
4: another farmer who's, that was a five-year-old ewe that had gone dry. She wouldn't produce anymore. Picked her up for 50 bucks. 50 bucks
0: for all that meat. I picked up about 100 pounds of meat out of that. Wow. so do you uh, do you dry it at all or it's more like no, i i don't
4: age any of my meat i kill bleed gut skin process within hours it goes into a fridge maybe for 24 hours if i haven't got enough time to finish it in the day and then the next day it's packaged and frozen i don't age any meat at all i'm not a big fan of that aged flavoring meat especially when it's hot I, I, it's so difficult to age meat correctly without a temperature-controlled fridge or freezer or a proper humidity-controlled environment. If you get it wrong, then you spoil the meat.
1: Right, right. Uh, I guess we'll move on then to the, the next topic, and Juicy just going to run wild. I was hoping one. to... I,
3: I, I was waiting to turn just to ask him a quick question. Oh, here. go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sorry. I was on mute too. I was hacking, you know, the doobies and shit. Um, when you're... You say you like the milk from goat. Is there anything in yes. particular that you would feed the goat to to change the milk to the way you like it? because out here oh, uh, like my uncle I, I pick up a lot of goats for him, but they'll eat like you said, everything, mostly trees, mostly fruit cutoffs would like go pick up all the apples and stuff like that. we give them to the but it depends on the week the milk changes. And yes. sometimes it's really bitter, so we 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 know not to give it any ferns or um, uh, carnivorous. But is there anything to make it more sweeter in in general? Clover. Just clover. Hey, that's that's easy.
4: You should try raw, fresh farm milk from cows that have been into the fresh clover. It is stunningly good, and it does the same thing for the goats.
3: Yeah, there's um, a farm just uh. 20 minutes away from here and they harvest on uh on strawberries and mm. that's some of the best meat i i love it i, I absolutely mm. love that meat but they're just little tiny wild strawberries you can go out and pick them yourself but <clears throat> i wouldn't suggest it because it's all cow shit but uh
4: just don't lick the brown ones
3: just don't lick the brown ones. that's right
1: you guys have me all here <laughs> that sounds nice
4: What brown strawberries? No, Naturally no, not
1: chocolate no, covered. Milk, milk, <laughs> milk that's been infused with strawberries.
4: Oh, it's yeah, so a fruit fruit milk is amazing. You do get the sugars and the flavors coming through. You really do.
1: Okay, so we'll move on to the next topic, and Juicy's going to run wild with this one. So, um, Jasper, you you grow a lot of vegetables as well. You mentioned that, yeah. like, potatoes, carrots. It's uh, a bunch of different other veggies, and then you, you actually have a bunch of um, different types of berries, uh, you got some apple trees, some pear trees, so, say um, I'm going to have this one over to you because uh, I'm sure you're just ready to go wild.
2: I don't know where to start. Um, I guess we were talking yesterday and getting to know you, you were saying you don't shop at grocery stores anymore, so you primarily grow everything for your family.
4: As much as I can, yes. I haven't bought potatoes in five years or pumpkins in six and and tomatoes. Well, we had to buy last year a little bit, but generally I've got enough frozen that I don't have to do that either. And yeah, we've very, very, very little in the way of grocery shopping for a family of four. It's about 150 a month.
2: When you, when you guys do your potatoes for the year, for family of mm-hmm. how many mounds of potatoes do you figure you grow?
4: I grew two mounds, 40 feet long, four feet wide, plant on each side, one a foot across, a foot across, a foot across, and then just kept heaping it. And I got 200, 250 pounds of potatoes out of that.
2: Oh well that's not bad so you don't even count anymore you just have a space that you lay out for potatoes and just start hocking them in pretty much yeah <laughs> 50 i have now. a row
4: with i have a row with um uh, manure on the bottom with soil over it and then i add more soil and they they stick their roots down into the poo and make food for me it's wonderful
2: and then you how do you preserve them for the year you do you have like a sand um cellar that
4: you put them in, sand? Nope. I take them out. I lay them on horse blankets and I let them dry for a day or two without direct sunlight. Preferably in the garage, nice and dark, or in a shed nice and dark. And once they're dry, I brush off most of the sand. I put them in paper sacks and I stash them in a cold cellar.
1: So we've got a picture of the potatoes up. Uh, I'm going to put a picture of the, the sweet potatoes up just so people can see yeah
4: that's just a row with a tractor dug turned the soil over and then i throw poo underneath that manure from the the chickens and the ducks and the goats and uh and then i uh, throw them in the hole and then i put soil over them and let them do their thing the reasoning for the plastic with the sweet potatoes is the sweet potatoes like warmer soil much warmer and the black plastic helps do that it helps promote the root growth and the root growth is where you get your, your sweet potatoes in, the long food is. From Three that row. particular row, I got 60 pounds of potatoes this year. And I put yeah. in maybe 10 pounds of potatoes.
2: Amazing. I have not grown sweet potatoes yet, I wasn't sure about it. Uh, it's definitely something I'd like to do, because my kids all like sweet potatoes.
4: Loose soil, held up as high as you can get it, nice and hilly. Um we actually put a drip irrigation thing underneath the plastic. It's because we just poked holes. So we put that plastic there, we put the drip irrigation down, we sealed it all in. Uh but sweet potatoes you start differently. You start them roundabout. Now you cut the sweet potato in half. You put three um um whatchamacallums in and toothpicks in them, and you stick about a third of that potato in water in a jar, and then it starts shooting eyes and little shoots and you let those shoots get about 6 to 8 inches long and get about 8 to 10 leaves on them. And then you very gently break those shoots off. You dip them in a uh, rooting medium, and you let the shoots grow roots. And once the shoots have grown roots and grown about another 6 inches long, you go out to your black plastic, poke a hole in it, open the hole, stick your, your roots in, close it up, and walk away. Oh,
2: wow. It sounds like a lot less digging than potatoes, that's
4: for sure. Oh, Yeah. Uh, digging them up, on the other hand, that's just as much as digging up potatoes.
2: I don't have a tractor, so all of my potatoes are all I'll manually dug with a, a goonspoon.
4: What the hell is a spoon?
2: <laughs> shovel.
4: Okay, a spoon. Okay, now I'm good. A pointy shovel or a flat shovel?
2: <laughs> Every shovel I can get my hands on.
1: Oh, okay, that's good. Oh, Those
4: were radishes. Those were all radishes.
1: Yeah, Juicy worked in the trade, so she's pretty well broken in, has a dirtier mouth than most. <laughs> so fits oh, right in. Oh, uh, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is the pick. And you said it's radishes that are in the dirt? In the middle is
4: radishes, and on the right are my pumpkin plants. And again, it's just manure on the bottom with dirt over it, about six inches of dirt. And this year I will have um, um, direct drip irrigation down every
2: single one of these rows. What do you use that many radishes for, sir?
4: Eating. They are very good in nutrients and vitamins and things. And they pickle very nicely.
2: Pickled a radish, but I grew radishes last year and ended up with probably 20 pounds of radishes. And my kids won't eat them. My old man won't eat them. I ate as many as I could. I gave some to the neighbors. I don't know that I'll ever grow radishes again because I don't know what to do with them.
4: Um, You can slice them really finely. Uh, and then you can dehydrate them and powder them and sneakily add them into everything you cook.
2: Okay, sounds good. It's vitamins and minerals. The <laughs> thing about radishes is they take about 35 days from start yep. to start. So they're, they grow really fast. What yep. I did with the ones that we actually had more than I actually pulled out, and what I did is I let them go to seed because they have really, really big, long flowers, like big big stalks with lots of little flowers, and the bees love them. Yes, they do. That's what I did with the rest of the radishes that I never pulled out of the ground. I just let them. And
4: then we harvested the seeds. So now I don't have to buy radish seeds this year.
1: So the standard standard use case in a restaurant for a radish is just to take a mandolin yeah, slice them paper thin and then throw them in a salad. And they're not too bad that way. I know, um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before we did pickle radishes at work, pickle radishes in like a, uh, a rice wine. Vinegar Ooh, pickling solution, very good. They're they're not bad, but they have a foul aroma. It's really really strong. I have heard of people braising radishes before and like doing a sous vide as Well, I don't know what that tastes like, but I, I've seen it done. I, I honestly I don't know what to do with radishes either, other than just slicing them really thin, put them on a mandolin, because like the, the flavor is really strong. You have to either have a taste for it or you have to counteract it with something.
4: Well, I must be weird then, because I like eating pickled radishes like pickled onions. It's just good food.
1: Yeah, any farmer I talk to who grows radishes just eats them raw. Like, I, I bought Yeah. I bought produce from one farmer. He just pulled them out of the ground and started eating them like apples, and I'm just looking at like, okay, that's a little weird.
4: Hey, when, when working look- with ducks and chickens and things splash in your mouth that shouldn't splash in your mouth, radishes are good.
2: I don't mind them. It's convincing the five-year-old that he should eat them. So growing a whole row was probably too much for us.
3: As I said, dehydrate them, powder them,
2: and sneakily add them to everything you cook.
3: I think a lot of part of it is uh, the recipe. If you don't have the right recipe, it's not very good. And sometimes it's a learning curve trying to get that right recipe because if you don't like the taste to begin with, how are you supposed to know how to change the recipe to what you like? So you just trial and error i guess
1: well that that goes for pretty much every ingredient if you find a proper way to cook it i mean most people will find it palatable uh, maybe another idea for a, a radish or a bunch of them is just to throw them in a blender with um maybe like some some honey or some maple syrup and a little bit i don't know like a white wine vinegar and make a vinaigrette And then you just, of course, you'd have to, you've got to get some oil in there to make a vinaigrette. But that's, that's probably a nice way because you get some sharpness from the, the radishes. I should try that.
4: That sounds absolutely spectacular, actually.
2: And you were saying trial and error, like gardening itself is all a trial and error process. You'll constantly, every year, be changing up and doing a little bit different to improve what you did last year.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Okay, so you've got potatoes. It's got sweet potatoes. Do you guys grow
4: peas, snap peas? You, you said Peas, beans. Yeah, peas and beans. And We do those. I have um, rows of page wire fence that I put down each row as soon as they come up. And I just let them vine on that. At the end of the season, I just pull the page wire fence up and
0: let the goats eat it clean. Um, so, yeah, it's all good. Just keep on adding more seeds
4: through the season, delay them by two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, and just keep on growing.
0: Typically bother growing corn?
4: No. Uh, Specifically because I have bees, I will not grow corn. Uh, Corn puts out a syrup that is actually pretty nasty to a bee's digestive system all along the edge of the leaves. It's got little like sharp knives for bees guts and it destroys the bees so i don't grow corn
3: oh holy shit
4: and it's really really hard to find a non-gmo goddamn that that horrible um, plant poison proof corn anywhere
0: um and once you get that into a beehive it kills the hive We do have a bunch of pictures
1: of, of bees as well. I'm going to pull a bunch up here. Just
2: give me about 10 seconds. I'm going to ask how many hives that you have.
4: We started off with two three years ago, lost one over winter, bought another two, ended up with three, lost one, ended up with two. Uh, last year, 2020, we did phenomenally well. We had three hives and and the fall, by the time everyone went to sleep, we had six. Um you want to rotate that 90 degrees to the right. Yeah, yeah, give me a second. It's come out squiff. <laughs> Bees don't um drape themselves to the left and right, they kind of hang down
2: looking at here those are all bees individually
4: that is a breeding swarm Um, so our hives did so well with the clover fields i've planted over the last three years that our
0: hives split three times last year we ended up with six hives there you go yeah
4: so that's a a, a mating swarm that's three mating swarms, actually. There's a queen in each of those bundles. Um, and uh, we captured each of them, and stuck them in a new hive, and they stayed. And we ended up with six hives going into winter.
0: Then,
2: how much honey do you get per hive out of e- each one of those swarms? Oh,
4: look. Uh, for those three, nothing. We allowed them to keep everything. So right in the middle of that is the queen. The big long girl there and around her are the female workers. And I don't see any drones in there. There's no big googly eyes. Um, so drones are really distinctive. They've got these massive black eyes. They look like they're a shot surprised bee. Uh and they're fatter than the the, the the little worker bees as well. Out of those three that we captured, nothing. We let them keep everything they produced. So they would go into winter with stores. Um that's a filled frame with the bees still on it as you pull it out. Uh, you gently brush those off or smoke them and then climb back in the hive and carry on. Um, and then you harvest the honey. And from a normal hive, you will get about 20 to 60 pounds of honey, depending upon how big the hive is. We picked 40 pounds of honey from two operational hives, fully functional, ready to go, and one that was partial. And then the other... Three, we didn't take anything from it all. We left the supplies for
0: them. For color? It's very yellow. Mm-hmm, that's from the clover. Yeah. We have the
2: buckwheat both, hunt. Four acres of clover and buckwheat for the bees and the goats.
4: Yep, I've got somewhere in the region of three to four acres of clover, and I'll be expanding that. I'll be putting into my general grass. I'll be putting clover in there as well. I've got another bag of clover to throw into that. And then I plant about an acre to two acres of buckwheats as well.
1: Well, you, You've mentioned before that bees, when, they, um, when they're dealing with different types of flowers, they tend to segregate. So you've got your clover yep. and then you've got your, your, your buckwheat and you, and you find they just tend to split it up. Um, yeah, they do you now. Commercial honey, which is what most people are used to, just kind of has a, a neutral flavor to it. What, what would you say the flavor would be like for um, a clover honey, uh, a buckwheat honey?
4: Clover honeys are ridiculously sweet and clear. Um, all I can really think of it is as it's it's bright. It, it it shines in your mouth. You put it in your mouth, a raw clover honey, as opposed to the processed honey from the store, it it it, it, it lights up. You eat it, and it's just boom. It's, it's summer. It's absolutely amazing. Um, a Buckwheat honey is dark. It's earthy. It, it tastes more like a Guinness. It's got that, 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 that sharp kind of um, musk-earth taste to it.
1: So th- this um, picture here, is this the buckwheat honey?
4: No. That's uh, a mix of wildflower and clover. The buckwheat would be about three shades
1: darker. Oh, that's exciting. I like that. It'd be really good for a barbecue, yeah. give you a nice glaze.
4: Oh yes it does. It goes really well on venison and goat.
1: It it's something I think that most, most chefs don't even really think about with honey. They just take it for granted, like, okay, this is honey's honey, right? Well, you have all these different oh, no. flavors and as you say, all these different colors. I mean when, when you're finishing a dish, I know um this is big with barbecue in particular. I know the Chinese, they use something called maltose syrup, which is kind of like a barley malt syrup. And it's a mirror finish. It's really clear. And they, they like to finish some of their barbecue with that. Versus, you know, we, we had WFS Texas on uh, with for our last episode. And he's big, big into barbecue. He's starting his own place. And he would probably glaze with something honey-based, I would guess. And I, I'm sure he'd be excited with something like uh, buckwheat honey.
0: Um,
4: I have not met anyone yet that I've let them taste buckwheat honey who hasn't gone, holy god, that's good.
1: I have seen it in specialty import stores before. I've just never bothered to, to buy it. I don't go through enough honey as it is, although that's changing very fast.
0: Uh, it's it's kind of a niche market, I think, kind of like
4: that manuka honey from New Zealand. Um it's not common, not really well-known, and people will look at it like that. It doesn't look like the normal yellow honey. So what you're seeing there in this closest one is the wax that we've cut off previous um, uh, frames and just balled together and chucked in there for smelting and melting later. And then you've got a full comb ready to cut the wax off it, the top wax, and then we just scrape everything into the into the pot uh, we did upgrade this season to an actual honey spinner. So you will would put two of those frames. You cut off the top wax and you put two of the frames in the spinner and then you turn a, a manual handle and it spins the honey out. What that does is it keeps the comb that the bees have made intact. So you can take those frames back to the hive and put them back in and the bees will clean out the remaining honey and fill it at twice the speed because now they don't have to build the comb.
1: So you've also mentioned that you save the beeswax. What do you do with it?
4: Uh, We make cells and balms and lip ice and medications for our dogs' feet and elbows for the winter and for our hands and feet for the winter.
3: It's Uh, funny you actually mention it too because... um... A friend of mine who's actually in the chat right now just bought some beeswax and made a bunch of different types of finish for woods Mm
0: -hmm. yep it
4: works for that as well if you want to do a a wax oil finish yep it's really good yeah um and then the dirty wax i use for lubing my black powder bullets
1: you do see a lot of beeswax cosmetics out there like like lip Balm balm as you mentioned um, I, I wish we saw more because, yeah, like, that's, that's really nice that you're getting a, a natural product that's that's pretty versatile like that. Um, but maybe a reason why we don't see that and something I did want to get to, it, it, if you read the um, sort of the, the environmentalist... Um, type news sites, something they've been mentioning for a long time is that the, the general population of honeybees has been dying. I, I haven't been able to verify this myself, but I, I'm wondering, is there something to it and what do you think the cause is, if true?
4: Yes, the bee populations are declining and it is absolutely and totally linked to spraying of neonicotinoids. So those poisons I was trying to remember the name of Neonics or neonicotinamides are a anti-insectoid um, spray, Roundup has it in it, that is used pervasively in mass agriculture. As I said, you can't find corn that isn't Roundup-ready. And if you can, instead of $10 a bag for 50 pounds, you're looking at $200 a bag for 50 pounds.
1: So it's, it's an and then they look size. at you funny.
4: Yes, and the insecticide interferes with the nervous system of the animal that gets it, and corn is specific in excreting it along the tips of the leaves into the sugar system, and that then gets in and kills the bees. Um, It also makes them more susceptible, if it doesn't kill them, it makes them more susceptible to mites and to funguses and to general ill health and to... Uh, wax moth infestations and um, makes them not as physically strong and able to resist pests. I think I sent you a picture of a wasp. um, Yeah, the the murder
1: hornet. You sent me a picture of the murder hornet. I didn't save it. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, it's pretty big. big. Um,
4: Yes, yes, that is an Asian hornet, and they are in Canada, and they are in Ontario. Um... And your standard yellow jackets that we get, they'll also raid hives. And if the bees aren't strong enough, they will actually kill a hive. Um, I was just
3: going to mention that the, the my my cousin's entire bee hive got wiped out all just by yellow jackets. Yep. Yep. Just took a video of it and showed it to <clears> me. <a bee throat> and they, they'll just sit there and completely annihilate the whole thing until it's done. I was just like, well, that's just like the video of the, the Asian off. Hornets. Same thing.
4: Yep, they just sit outside and they, they line the exit entrance where the bees come and go, and as the bees stick their heads out, they cut their heads off. Yep.
3: Yeah, I prefer yeah. to
2: call them cunts with wings as opposed to yellow jackets. <laughs> <laughs> yellow
4: stripy things, and the last one is the cunt with wings. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, they're nasty. Um, i leave the yellow jacket nests alone on the farm if they are head height and above. I don't touch them because they do all my work for killing all my pests and things on my plants. I don't use pesticides or herbicides or anything like that. Um, If they are head height or below, I burn them completely, destroy them. I wait until they all go home at the night and I pour gasoline on them and I light the bastards on fire. Especially if they are in the ground. Um, And I so far have not found... A nest with those Asian hornets. I have seen and killed five of them in the last three years. Uh, so they are in the area. I don't know where the nest is, but the day I find it, I will pour gasoline down it and I will burn
2: it. You That's have to do often. a lot, a lot of pest control and varmint, varmint control on your property.
4: Yeah, I live on two with my, my farm backing onto 200 acres of swamp. So I have everything that eats and crawls and lives out there. And it's, it's very healthy. Um, I've got weasels. I've got mink. I've got raccoon. I've got skunk. I've got porcupine. I've got foxes. I've got coyotes. And I have an occasional wolf pack that comes through. I've only seen them twice in four years, but they do come through. And I really like it when they come through because they don't bother anything except eat the coyote pack, which is
0: awesome. What pests do you think you probably have the most problems with? Uh, mink. Mink. And what, what do they go after mostly? Your chickens? Chickens, baby goats,
4: ducks, rabbits, turkeys, adult turkeys. They'll, they'll kill anything that's up to the size of a small dog. Wow,
0: oh, I didn't know that.
4: Yeah, they are horrible, horrible creatures. I lost And an it's an entire... all-year-long
3: battle here. We have snow most of the time, so we don't even have to worry about our crops. But then this, the little bastards come up the next year, and it's just like it's a fight all over again. Mm-hmm. They destroy everything in the, their wake. It's, I I hate gophers. I absolutely despise them. They've cost people so much money. People don't even understand how much money that gopher can cost you. It's It's ridiculous.
4: Nothing like a two-two-three to make a gopher's day really bad.
3: Gonna
2: ask, how do you deal with them? Well, now you've asked.
4: There you go. You make a hole in them with a high-velocity projectile. Okay. I trap. Sense- I do a lot of trapping. Um, I've got snare traps and snap traps for weasels on poles and things. I've got box snap traps for weasels uh, that are just out constantly. Um, I have uh, actual proper weasel um, mink traps out in the bush um, and around the the perimeter of the property. So anything that passes through has to go through them. Um, And then for the foxes and the coyotes, I sit and I shoot. Because I've got dogs, I won't snare trap for foxes or coyotes because my dogs could get into them. Um so I, I do the, the hard work. I sit and I shoot for coyotes and foxes. Oh and we get bobcat every now and then as well too. Oh sorry, Canadian
0: lynx, not bobcat, Canadian lynx. I've had two come through in the, the five years we've been on the property.
3: That's some uh incredible wildlife to actually see in oh, this small vicinity.
4: Yeah. Oh I I have no toxins, I have no poisons. I have no herbicides or pesticides. I don't poison um, because it, it indiscriminately kills. Um, I have snakes and frogs and three different species of turtles and salamanders. Oh my god, you should have seen the size of the salamander I found in the fall. It was as long as my freaking hand. Absolutely gorgeous.
1: I, I have a picture here you sent me of uh, what some minks did to your farm. I'll just bring it up right now.
4: Yep. That was my breeding flock uh, with my blue and green genetics for the eggs. And it was six hours. I went out. It was disgustingly cold night. And I went out at midnight to check on the critters and everything was fine. And I went out again at 5.30 and I opened the coop door and the mink was inside killing off the one in the top right corner. Um, and she was my, one of my absolute brilliant blue egg layers, and I actually dived for the mink bare-handed to kill it.
1: <laughs> that's how you know he's from South Africa, they don't fuck around down there. I mean, that, that's like a burglar yeah, no. breaking into your place, for sure. Yeah, he's, oh, he's gonna yeah. be dog food, yeah. yeah. And
4: I know it would have bitten me, but there would have been two halves of a mink. <laughs> So, and I was willing, and I, as I went for it, I knew without a doubt it was, it was. if I caught
0: it, it was going to bite me. But once its mouth is engaged, no. <laughs> sucks to be you. Good lord.
2: Are those birds salvageable, for yourself, for the family, or for the dogs, maybe?
4: No. Mink are awful creatures. When they kill something, they shit and piss on it to mark it as theirs. God. yeah they are indiscriminate killers they just go on a rage what i did find is i trapped the mink later and i trapped three mink coming back to the uh the coop um two young males and a big female the female was the one that i just about grabbed and when i did trap her three weeks later she was two and a half feet long nose to tip her tail and she had six littles inside
1: So I'm guessing guessing you support the fur trade, then.
4: Oh, absolutely, yes. Without a doubt, I love fur. It's wonderful, it's warm, it smells good once you clean it properly. Why do you think animals have fur coats?
1: Are you planning on selling mink scarves anytime soon?
4: If I catch any more, yes, absolutely. It is so
3: soft and silky.
1: Well, there you go, guys. Get uh, get your girlies a mink scarf for her birthday or for Valentine's Day, and you know where to go now.
3: Damn, what I would do with that! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad my wife isn't watching to hear this, but nah, she doesn't get the mink. It'd be like in my gun case or something like that, just all nice and fluffy and mm. shaped down on the bottom, where all pieces sit. You know you're a redneck. The mink
1: stays out of the bedroom and goes into the gun closet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: What's wrong
4: with mink in the bedroom?
0: <laughs>
2: it's silky. <laughs> hoarding it for himself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Who says the gun isn't in or the gun rack isn't in the bedroom?
2: That just makes you more. Should even be next, next to the bed.
4: Should be right next to the damn bed, my man. How the hell yep. else you gonna get it out in under five seconds while responding while the dogs are barking? Right.
3: We, I, I always wanted to build that uh, headboard that when you just push up, your shotgun drops into your hand.
0: Doctor,
3: yeah, yeah. old lady
2: accidentally one night? <laughs> just don't hit the headboard
3: wrong. No, it's just like Get everything else. It's got a, a safety pin.
4: <laughs> Get plumped in the noggin. That'll put a rune to the
1: moment. Oh... Good oh. Lord.
3: <laughs> I, I, you I mean, don't even know the half of it. I, I want to go back. To <laughs> I'm the, a medic. Uh,
1: I want to go back to the gardening topic a bit. So we didn't really yeah. cover your, your 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 fruit end of it. Um, could you just talk about, say, putting up some some apple trees, some pear trees, just the process? Oh,
4: oh, that's difficult in our climate. Um, two years ago, three years ago, we put in five apple trees and four pear trees. And as of going into this fall, I had two apple trees and one pear tree left. Um, and they ain't cheap to buy, I'll tell you that. They weren't, They didn't die because of lack of water. What happened is we had those freeze-thaw cycles in the spring, and all the buds opened. And, and the buds open, and then they are susceptible to frost. And I didn't catch that. And instead of draping them with um, um, sackcloth... Um, they were left open, and I lost most of the trees. It was the same year I lost a ten-foot-tall silver maple, and a couple of pines, and half of my blackberries. They all popped open and then froze and died. So,
1: yeah, the freeze thaw cycles have been more prominent I've noticed in the past couple of years. We, we've had a lot of them in in Alberta this winter. It's really eating the roads up. And up and that's, that's just the roads that doesn't even go for the the agriculture. So mm-hmm. there, there are a couple farms um, near where I shop for my produce north of here uh, that, that sell apples, a lot of crab apples. There's one that operates just kind of like a, an honored system. It's just kind of like a shed on the side mm-hmm. of the road, and they have probably like 10 or 12 different varieties of apples and then they have a couple varieties of pears as well but i i noticed that their season was really short it was right at the end of the summer and i think by october they were done but i i i bought them up like crazy and i froze them because i, I thought well it's really hard to get that stuff out here because most of it comes from bc so i'm gonna get as much as possible
0: yeah
4: it's uh, fruit growing is very very difficult As I said, my trees are only three, four years old, and you only really start getting anything off them usable at four, five, six. Um, So this year I'm going to be buying uh, a couple more pear trees, but I'm going to buy bigger pear trees, spend more on them. I'm going to put them closer to the house in deeper soil Um, because pear trees are weird. You need more than one because they can't self-pollinate. They have to cross-pollinate from pear tree to pear tree whereas most apple trees can self-pollinate. Uh, so it, it was annoying that we didn't get pears because we got them last year. Little, like five or six pears, but we got pear tree, pears off our pear trees, and then one of them died, so now we don't have pear trees. So I'll be getting more. <laughs> yeah, those pear trees are pretty damn horny. You don't want any incels. You better get them girlfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if we have the climate
1: for it, but have you ever worked with quince?
4: Nope, haven't even considered it. Don't even know what it requires. I
1: I, I think that quince requires a warm climate, but it's it's an interesting fruit because it's really fragrant, like a pear, but it has a shit ton of pectin in it, so I guess people in um, previous eras used just strictly quince for jams and jellies. They didn't have butter pectin. Yeah, because mm. some fruits have pectin in and I guess quince just has a shit ton of it. I've I've worked a little bit with quince, and if you uh, if you bake it, and sort of steam it in the oven, it gets really tender and quite nice. It has kind of a honey flavor to it. Um. Yeah, yeah. I just figured I'd ask. And also, you have a couple different varieties of berries that you grow. Um, some that I haven't even seen before. So you might as well get into that.
4: Sorry, what was that berries?
1: Yes, the berries.
4: Oh, yeah, we've got your standard old-fashioned thorny blackberries. Um, we've got mm-hmm, black raspberries, which we found growing wild on our property, red raspberries, and strawberries. And then what are those funny little orange ones that we grow? Very, very sour. Um, I'll try and remember the name. Well,
1: you, um, you did mention but- you grew loganberries as well. Is that what you meant?
4: No, I think the name was wrong that I used okay. orange,
1: I can't remember the name of the berries. berries tend to be like a sea buckthorn? Is that what you mean?
0: Nope. Um, it's, a, it's a low bush. Um, and it grows uh, really, really well here, actually. I God oh,
4: damn. I can't remember the name of it right now. Old age creeping up, my brain falling out of my
0: ass. Um...
1: But with that said, you, you don't operate at Yupik. You just, um, you just grow the berries for your, your family and your neighbors, correct?
4: <clears throat> yeah, we've only been doing berries a year, two years, to the end of this, sorry, this fall would have been two years. And we haven't got a reliable crop yet. Um, I've been trying a whole bunch of different things to get them to produce more and how to keep the birds, holy God, the birds off the berries. They decimated our
1: strawberries this last year. So for the city dwellers out there, one of the best kept secrets in the country is um, just a vast array of upicks. And the concept behind a u-pick is the farmer will grow a just a ton of some sort of product. It tends to be like you know, strawberries are the most popular. Uh, there are a lot of Saskatoon berry upicks up here. Uh, some raspberry upicks. You can do choke cherries. Um, I know another place that has hawthorn berries. They do sea buckthorn and. Yeah, you got to do some poking around online, read some food magazines, and do some driving. But once you get out there, I mean, it, it is, it, it's is—it's amazing. You just get out there in the summer in the, in the hot, beady sun, and you get down on your hands and knees, you bring a bucket with you, and you just you get right into nature. And there's nothing better than a, a fresh, wild strawberry. The, the flavor is just incredible. It is ten times better than anything you'll get in a store. I picked 15 pounds of strawberries this year. I, I just it took me an hour. I, like I, I went to the front desk with my strawberries. like, okay, how long did it take me? An hour. I, said, well, I, I picked 15 pounds of strawberries an hour. And then I was like, wow, oh,
0: that's really good.
1: Then I ended up freezing it and making jam. Um, but it, it depends on the price. Some places are pretty pricey. Like you're looking at like five bucks a pound for strawberries. I and mean, the place I went to, I think I only paid three bucks a pound. So you do have to do a little bit of scouting out there, buddy. Take your kids. Take your family. It's it's a wonderful experience. You just need some gardening gloves and some buckets. And it's it's loads of fun. So I, I recommend doing U picks for, again, the city dwellers out there who are kind of ignorant as to how things work out in the country. Just get out <laughs> there. It's so much yeah. fun.
4: Yeah, that's, that's ab- absolutely for sure. They really don't understand how to get out in the country and do the UPIC pick stuff at all. And there are. If you're on the
3: mountain ranges, uh, if you're going on down the road too, going through the mountains and stuff, you can look over and you'll see like little signs saying wild strawberries. And you can just pull over to the side of the road. And there's a lot of them are like really well hidden. And if you don't know what to look for, you, you wouldn't even, you'd just miss it. And you pull over and you go out for a little walk. And yeah, bunch of strawberries just sitting there. Same ones you would feed the cows. Exact same ones, pretty much.
1: And there are. Um... There are some places here um around Edmonton I know there are a bunch of on the mountain prairies that will actually sell frozen berries year round. Saskatoon berries in particular, so for about the past nine months I've actually just been buying frozen saskatoon berries in bulk and paying anywhere from three to four bucks a pound and then I just sit in my freezer and I'll pull like five pounds at a time and then I'll eat that in about a week or so and go on to the next one. Now saskatoon berries it was a really shitty harvest last year the farmers tell me like both places I bought from—they told me they got nothing for Saskatoon's last year. So I mean, who knows what this year is going to be like? What the stock levels are going to be like? But as far as berries go, what I was told is that the uh, what I was told is that the, the berries you find in the supermarkets and the berries you find in the restaurants—like we, we just get them from wholesale suppliers, right? They're genetically they're mm-hmm. bred so that they—they're um, full of water and they last mm-hmm. much longer. So your typical fresh berry will only last for a couple of days before it turns to mush. And you have to be really careful mm-hmm. when you're storing them. You have to store them flat on like a baking sheet or something so they don't crush each other. And they, they go moldy pretty fast versus like a, a clamshell of strawberries, which can last you probably like a week and a half.
3: Some of them you just moldy. leave out, they'll just dry up. Like they just, they, some of them don't even, they just will dry out.
1: Yeah, they don't go yeah. moldy, and they raspberries mold. raspberries are very delicate. They're like pillows, and they could they could go soft in you know a day or two if you're not careful. Versus the ones we get the restaurants, which will probably last us a week. And the the flavor there's such a massive difference. Like a nice wild or a properly grown natural berry is just so sweet, it's. It's, it's it's wonderful versus the stuff you get in the restaurants that's watery. There just isn't that much flavor to it. And this was actually this last year is my first year doing u and I couldn't believe the difference in flavor and I'm just, I am bringing this stuff to work. I'm showing guys like, there's a massive difference here. <laughs> Huge. Yep.
0: Yep.
4: Yep. It's uh, ridiculous how different uh, the store-bought stuff is versus what you get in in your garden. So... Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know if my cousin still has it. My my wife's cousin uh, bought a U-Pick. It even has had a freezer and everything. I don't know if she still does it, but that's out here somewhere. And I'm sure that the fruit is still good. But uh, I know she's pregnant with her sixth child. So, I mean, good luck if she's doing anything with it.
1: Well, the problem with the strawberry U-Picks is that they're so busy during the summer, they always sell out. So they never have any frozen stock.
3: Yeah, and when they bought this place, it has a big, huge walk-in freezer that's built into the garage. So I don't know if they use it or what they do. If if I had it, I would definitely be stocking with everything from meat, vegetables to everything and then 100% keep a generator on hand. Even Costco right now, uh, you get those flyers. Costco has a generator that will run on three different fuels, uh, propane, gasoline or natural gas wow isn't that interesting uh, yeah and if you had one of those you can have a tiebreaker on your house and flick over to that and then that would power the majority of your house if you wanted to um most of the stuff i would shut down if you were under like an emergency and you have to sacrifice your fuel but yeah (laughs) I yeah. I just experienced it I was the only house on my block that had lights and it was
4: we, like hmm. we did something very similar we put in a 7000 kilowatt or 7 a 7 kilowatt a 7000 watt generator and we put in an emergency panel and we ran specific lights plugs and systems off it we yes. can we've got a plug two plugs in the kitchen the fridge is run the pellet stove runs the well pump runs we have a light on the landing up by the bedrooms and we have a light in the basement um, and we have the fan for the electrical toaster that can run so we can keep our house warm we have water we have the ability to cook in the kitchen with a little thousand watt two plate burner and our fridges are working and everything else shuts down and none of our animals have heat in the barns or the sheds or the the coops so that doesn't matter for them um and the other thing that we did do is we have water that runs out to the livestock that has a heat trace inside the line that is now also on the um the panel so that our livestock still have water
3: that's excellent. Well, how, how cold the temperatures do you get?
4: Jesus. Um, that last dip that we had, we were down at minus 24. Um, so, and what was it? Yeah, that's, last? that's cold. 2019 to 2020, we got down to minus 33, registering outside the coop and minus 25 in the coop.
3: Yeah, that's some serious temperatures. That's enough yeah. to disable a lot of stuff.
4: Oh God, yes, yeah, absolutely. We we get Ottawa gets some of the kind of temperatures that Moscow gets, so it's and we and we yes. have a little Average weird day here, usually, yeah. And we have a little weird weather pattern where we are. We sometimes get a lot more wind, so that the the cold chill after that is worse. So our coops and things are, we can lock them down. We can lock them down to wind tight.
0: Uh,
4: That's at the animals. Yeah.
1: Casper, you out of, um, of the wing. You, you mentioned you're, you're setting up some greenhouses as well. I know Juicy wanted to ask you about yes. that.
0: Yes. We are. Uh, Juicy was checking so her canning. <laughs> 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 yes, that's important to check.
4: So greenhouses. So
2: green- yeah, greenhouses. What do you grow in your greenhouses?
4: We start all our veggies in there. Um... Right now, when we were down at minus 20-something, we were at
0: zero in the greenhouse.
2: So you put all your seedlings in there?
0: Yep, without any extra heat, we were at zero.
2: You don't heat them at all with anything, it's just the, the internal temperature of it itself?
4: Correct. Um, We are using passive solar heating, although we will be going into a waste oil heating system once we get all three of them up. Um, And we are also doing those uh, solar pop can heaters.
2: where you do like your tomatoes and peppers and stuff all summer?
4: The peppers we do all summer in there. The tomatoes we start and then put out in the ground because we get enough heat in the one little pocket where we grow our tomatoes, that they can grow there very, very easily. Um, in fact, we have to <laughs> really thin them out because the damn things go bush and crazy. Um, and uh, our greenhouses, there's three, two different kinds that we've got going right now. One is, the one kind is an old garage, those pop-up garages, your, your Quebec garage, right? or the Gatineau garage and we've ripped off the plastic and we've tied them down to cedar logs and so they're off the ground and then we put cedar planking and or tin around the back side this is the north side and then on the south side we've got um, that transparent poly roofing that lets sunlight through. and inside that, we've got, on the inside of the steel frame, we have a layer of um, greenhouse plastic that lets the UV and stuff through. And so that gives you a double barrier. And uh, we just windproof it by digging snow around the bottom. By the time the snow melts, it's warm enough. And we have windows that we pop open or close depending upon the temperature in the
1: air. Uh, so, for, um, the, for the people in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the Medicine Hat area is pretty much the greenhouse capital of Canada, or so I've been told, okay. and they pump out just a ridiculous amount of greenhouse vegetables. So, the main company out of there is called Red Hat. They also have various okay. brands like the Cucumber Man. So, if you look at your supermarkets, you're going to see a lot of their produce, like their tomatoes or cucumbers. Uh, you don't see as many bell peppers from them, but the tomatoes and bell pepper or, uh, cucumbers in particular, you see a lot of and what happens is they come out of a town that's just outside of Medicine Hat called Redcliffe. And Redcliffe's an interesting okay. place because there's pretty much a greenhouse on every corner and you can just walk in, it's it's an honor system type place. You just put some money in a in a box and you walk out with beautiful produce. So I, I would oh. recommend anyone, you know, Southern Alberta South um, southwestern Saskatchewan, give that a look because it's, it's a really unique place that um, you wouldn't expect to, to find in a place like Canada. But because Medicine Hat gets so much sunlight, they, they can pull it off. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, and, f- and for those who've never had like a proper fresh tomato or a fresh bell pepper, the aroma coming off of them, amazing. <laughs> it's a huge difference. And it's, again, one of the reasons why the, the Mediterranean pumps out the best food possible because they have so much fertile uh, ground for farming, and they have a beautiful warm climate. So they, they have tons of fresh produce, which is why their cuisines are all based around it, and which is why our stupid little imitations of their cuisine are never as good, because the produce just isn't fresh.
4: You know, we In the summer, we just walk past the tomato plants and the bean plants and the pea plants and just hook them off and eat them. Um, it's, uh, my kids never liked fresh veggies until they could graze outside. And then you find them walking past the plants and munching on stuff. It's good.
1: Yeah, and if, if you do have to buy produce from the supermarket, always, always, always get your tomatoes with the vine on. The vine is how they stay fresh. You smell the vine, if you smell that vine aroma, you know that they're at least somewhat fresh. If you don't smell the vine, they're not fresh.
2: I find that most grocery store tomatoes don't really taste like tomatoes
3: anyway.
1: Well, and they're also, they also tend to be coated with like a carnauba wax or something so they stay fresh longer so they look nicer which is yeah another
3: our local iga has um our local iga has a hydrate colony tomatoes that are really good they're on the vine i mean it's hit or miss but most like you were saying before most of the vegetables that go there a lot of people complain about their produce there but they try to get as fresh as possible so that it has to be bought or within a day like sometimes within the day, it's already going moldy. So they've had the the entire store completely refitted with all new stuff to help keep it fresh. And uh, still, if you take it home and you don't do your, like take it out of the bag or leave it on the counter for too long, yeah, it's, it's gar- even putting it in the fridge the wrong way will destroy it in, in a matter of a day or so.
1: Well, one of the benefits of buying fresh produce from farms and growing it yourself is that it actually lasts a lot longer if you take care of it because you're you're taking out that phase where it's being taken from the factory farm, held in a warehouse, and then
3: shipped to whatever market supermarket you buy it from. Numerous and places sits until you buy it, which
1: could be you know like two weeks or something. Who knows? Yeah. You're cutting that out, yeah. so instead you have that time. To let it sit in your refrigerator, which is what I do. I buy produce about every two weeks, and then it, it just it just sits in there because I buy it in bulk, and then I, I make use <laughs> of it. I I seldom throw produce out because I'm buying it really really fresh. Ah,
3: hmm. uh, Casper, ha- have you dealt with any aquaponics or anything, or have hmm. you ever thought about doing that?
4: I thought about it extensively and the plan is as follows it'll be the third greenhouse and it's going to be a um, compressed clay bed Um, and then i'm going to put down that black irrigation drainage pipe and then i'm going to throw soil over that Uh, and then i'm going to lay on top of that a support structure i'm guessing so that i don't crush it when everything compresses to build a 10 by 20 or 20 by 40 pool three feet deep. is going to have carp. Um, and then, um, uh, what are those? Is tilapia? Tilapia. And then there's a, there's a northern kind of sucker fish that we get up here. Um, mm. Mud pout, mud poot, I think they're called. They're all cold water fish, don't need heating. Uh, so you can keep the water at about four or five degrees instead of having to keep it at fifteen or twenty.
0: And
4: that's going to be heated with a waste oil heating system. Um and then the back of the building is going to be earth tires, so like earth ship build. And over that I will throw layers of dirt and grow clover for the bees. And then the front is going to be the sloped roof at the correct angle for our, our latitude to capture the most sun at the depths of winter um and that's that's just math which i haven't got on my head right now but it's it's a math formula you take your latitude and you find out what angle you need to get a 90 degree and you build your your slope at that and it gets the most penetration at the depths of winter it gives you the the best heating in the on the um on the winter solstice and you face that due south and then um The waste gas from the waste oil will be pumped into the greenhouses as CO2 for the evenings and the heat will be used to keep the water, the soil in all three of the greenhouses warm. And any waste greenery will go into the fish and then the fish water will get cycled up through um, clay, expanded clay pellet beds um, through two of them. And in the first one, you'll grow your nutrient-rich or nutrient-demanding growths and stuff and plants, so basically greens. And the second one down, you grow the less nutrient-demanding. And it's an ebb and flow system. So it kicks on every three to six hours, and it does a two-times exchange of the water by volume. Um, and then it shuts off. And then the beds drain out. And then every three to six hours later, it kicks on again. We've had a small, twenty-gallon, thirty-gallon, forty-gallon fish tank going for the last five years, where we do a lot of our seed starting in the house, and it's got two small beds above it. And basically, you exchange the one-third volume into the beds above, and then you do a two-volume exchange total, and then you turn the pump really? off again. And so you've
3: already been doing it?
4: I've been doing it for two years, three years, or more now. Yeah on a small scale I've got all the inoculation bacteria up and running in that small system Um, and it's just a matter of upscaling it so
2: it's
3: really impressive yeah
4: oh we have been planning stuff like this for god 12 years now my lady and I so this is this is not a a short-term thing if anybody thinks they're going to go into producing a farm and doing what we're doing in next year they're smoking crack
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: We've taken five years to get where we are on this property, and it took us fifteen before that to find this property.
1: There's a there's a documentary on Netflix. Uh, my my sous chef recommended me last year that I ended up watching. I think it's called like the like the biggest little farm or something, and it's about yeah. um, this liberal couple who live in they live in Santa Monica, so Los Angeles on the beach, and they've got this this shitty little apartment, and they're both in their thirties, and then they're miserable. So then they, the the, the woman is a, a chef. So then she decides, you know what? Let's just go out of the city and let's get a farm. And so uh, her her boyfriend, I think, was a like a camera operator or something. And they end up doing no a um, between either of them. Yeah, yeah. So they put forth a business proposal. They got some investors, and then they got a farm outside of Los Angeles, and then they got some. I don't know some or organic farming expert to uh, to advise them, and they got a bunch of eager farm hands to help them out. And the first couple of years, I mean, you just can't help but laugh at them because, like, it's sort of the, the loss of innocence that a lot of liberals go through when they they enter a, a, a tough period of life, right? Like, you have all these free range birds that they're doing; they're selling a lot of eggs, and then all of a sudden the coyotes come and they just rip through all of them, and then the they get married, the husband's like, oh... Okay, I shouldn't I laugh, but... And the husband's got to buy a gun, and they got, they're got they so reluctant to do anything to kill off of these coyotes, because they're just like, oh, no, no, they're just animals, we don't want to yeah, hurt the animals. Pretty little song yeah. dogs, lovely yeah. song dogs. But yeah. o- over time, <clears throat> as they grow hard, as they learn how farms work, they... They and developed this works. ecosystem because they don't use pesticides or any of that stuff. I think it took them about five years to really get going, and they had everything. They had loads of fruit, loads of produce. They had chickens. They had all sorts of animals going, and it kind of goes into detail on just how the ecosystem works, on how every little creature has a purpose. And then it, it's something you've sort of mentioned as well, like just – how, how every creature has, has a purpose in what they do and how you just sort of let nature work its course.
4: Yeah, as much as I can. I really don't hunt the coyotes or the foxes or the mink unless they come close to the property. And then it's a specific area of denial. You don't come here. Right? If you do, I'm going to pick you off. If you come within this range, they are traps. The rest of the property, I leave be. Right and it's helped significantly getting the three dogs and teaching them to protect the livestock, my zone of influence just tripled. Just poof. All of a sudden, I've got this seclusion zone around my property where we lost birds to old age this year, instead of losing birds to predators.
1: Which is a good sign. It means you're doing a good job. But Yeah, finally. What what all this reinforces is just how complex nature is, and that no matter how hard we try we we can't outsmart it we have to be really careful oh god we no. just start, um you know modifying the crap out of it because it has disastrous results I and mean, you look at what some of the pesticides like um atrazine are doing to the water supply oh god uh, yeah uh, ugly stuff like alex jones says A term
0: of freedom gay. oh
1: it's definitely
4: changing sexes so that's partly correct he's not all the way wrong some of the shit he says is so off the moon it's unbelievable but a lot of it is on point well you first hear that you you,
2: "Oh, i
1: don't know man then you read into the stuff about atrazine, and you're like okay maybe you're right
2: okay
4: maybe he's right yeah yeah you read into the stuff about um um roundup and you go no that couldn't be killing the bees and then you read some more and you go holy shit that's what's killing the bees yeah
3: Late There's 90s, early 2000s, we really started noticing that there was a lot more feminine men. They just called them metrosexuals or whatever. And as even the, the days and the years went by, more and more of them become feminine. And now when I, I look in my my daughter's school, the women are more masculine than the men are. They're, they're soft. They're wine. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a rig worker. And almost all my friends who are rig workers with me won't go back to the rigs because of how bad it is for, like, like we yell at each other for a reason. To keep each other alive and to have each other's back. Now, you can have a lawsuit on you if you yell at somebody. It's that savage.
1: Well, we're working, we're like, on, working on the rigs back in the day is kind of like the male version of being a porn star, right? You're selling your body. It's- You know, you could could really, really hurt yourself. For brutality,
4: pretty Mm -hmm. much, yeah. I did a lot of time in the oil rigs in northern Alberta and BC, man. And then a lot around the world on drill ships and um, jack-up rigs. It's deadly work. And I was the medic, and I got to deal with people that
3: got severely messed up because shit went wrong. I got messed up a couple times myself. I had my thumb crushed, uh... It was crazy because I had a Marine. He was from the States. And he was up stick. So he's at the top of the derrick pulling the pipe back. And the, the whole rig was leaning. And the elevators, when they came down, it caught my thumb between the stump of the pipe and the elevators. Oh, and, Jesus. Yeah. and You still uh, got all of your p- thumb? Yep. Yeah, I, even the thumbnail grew back mostly. Um, Damn. Tough weather.
0: Yeah.
3: Fucking... I, I threw off the glove and blood was like kind of spraying, and the fucking first person that was there. I have, I have a guy four feet away from me. I have another guy to my left, uh, maybe three feet away from me. And the first person to catch it was the fucking Marine up top. And he slid down the stairs and he was right there on me. And he's like, Holy fuck. And I ended up just rolling pipe for the rest of the night. And then the next day I had to fucking stick a, uh, attack through the fucking thing to relieve the pressure but
4: yeah, other than they, that they swell up nicely
3: i was lucky i was very lucky that time yep. i also got a, a a third degree and a second degree caustic burn um, when i was green i didn't know what to. Fu- i didn't know what the fuck i was doing and they oh, told God. me to put the steam down the, the the hole to fucking blow up the pipe and the and steam came back, back and you. it went yeah blew back on yeah. me and fucking whew, i screamed like a girl like, oh I yeah, use, like, yeah. Caustic will make that. people
4: scream. I don't have care how big the guy is. I know that scream. Yeah, I've heard it a few times on the rigs. Yeah, it's like, yep. oh shit, run Somebody's in trouble. W-
3: wipe the skin off my wrist at, like mm-hmm. it was a marshmallow. Mm-hmm. It was fucking brutal. Yeah,
4: yep. leave some awful, awful scars afterwards too.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it never d- actually that that never did heal right. It's st- it looks all weird when I get a suntan there.
4: Yep, it will. You've lost all the melanin there.
1: We're uh, we're running well on time so far. So uh, something else you raise you you raise a lot of poultry on your farm.
0: Yes, I, I'd like I to do. get into
1: that. I'll pull a picture up of your your chickens here.
0: Mm-hmm. The live ones, not the dead ones, that the blame mix got got to. Yes. So
4: the big brown rooster in the middle there. That gentleman's name is Sam. He's our dominant rooster. That's a Rhode Island red, two guinea fowls next to Sam, a small turkey in the background, uh, a couple of ducks, another turkey, and off on the top left is the coop. Um, now, the coop is pretty much bomb-proof. I finally got that right. If you have, if you have anything that is a ground predator, mink, weasel, fox, coyote, skunk, raccoon, the coops need to be built with no more than an eighth of an inch gap anywhere. That includes your doors, because a weasel will get through anything bigger than an eighth of an inch. You cannot use chicken wire, because chicken wire is only good for holding back baby chicks. And even then, only after they are a little bit bigger so they don't slide through the holes. Um, chicken wire is just a, a slowdown technique for for raccoons. They tear it open like paper, paper mache. Um, And anything bigger than or stronger than a raccoon doesn't even pause going through it. So you need to use welded wire. I use 2 by 6 construction that is insulated um, so that I don't have to worry about wind drafts and things. And the design of the coop I have is from the 1930s so that it utilizes the body heat of the chickens to circulate the air and to keep the coop warm. Um, that way I don't need to use heat in the winter, and it's proven itself over the last four years, completely, totally. I have no no doubts it works. I get a little bit of frostbite sometimes, and that's only on the, the roosters with their bigger combs. Um, you've got to have enough perches for the hens to sit so their big feathers can cover their toes, and other than that, it's, it's good. Nobody gets frostbite at all, even in the last batch of really cold weather. It was just the one rooster got some frostbite.
1: I, I've seen uh, references in passing in, in various cookbooks to to guinea fowl, but of course I've never seen one before. Mm-hmm. Could you describe what a guinea fowl is?
4: A guinea fowl is a bird that originates in the tropics. It's found in South America, Africa, Indonesia, Malaysia. It is the equivalent of a cross between a grouse and a chicken. It is flighty. It is temperamental. It is dumb as a goddamn fence post. Um, and unless you raise it under hens and let the hens raise them, you will never get them to come into a coop. They have a habit of perching as high up trees as they can go. We made that mistake in the first year. We hand raised them and free raised them. And we ate all of those because we could never bring them inside. I shot them out of the trees. Um, <laughs> and the next batch. You make a mess
3: of your grow when you hit them too.
0: Mmm,
4: guinea fowl, yeah, they're, they're like hitting a the brick. They're really solid. Yeah. Uh, they the they, meat they is... don't get
3: out of the way. They're not fast enough to get out of the way.
4: No. And the meat is very, very dark and very rich. Um, they're a little bit bigger than, I'd say, a roughed grouse when you clean them out. Um, we predominantly keep them because they free-range everywhere. And they are savage on anything bug, tick, or worm. So they absolutely demolish bugs, ticks, and worms. Well, that's good news. So, oh, God, yes. I very seldom get any ticks on my dogs or my goats or my kids or anything because the, the guineas do that. Um, going back to the coop, to bomb-proof it against predators, I have it two feet off the ground. This summer, I'm going to insulate the floor. I've got the, the finally found the right kind of insulation and wooded in so the floor will be insulated as well. And... Every seam is tight, or eighth of an inch, and anything that is open, as in a window, has welded wire on the outside and on the inside, and the welded wire on the outside has a wooden frame over it that is screwed down. If you nail it down, the bloody mink will pull it loose.
1: So, guinea fowl, you say it's got probably like a gamey taste to it, because it's a bird that can fly, got nice dark red meat to it.
4: Gorgeous, lovely.
1: But it's also pretty lean, so low on fat?
4: Very lean. Absolutely very lean. I stuff my birds in the last two months before winter on very high corn to give them some fat to push them through. Um, But other than that, no. I free feed them in the last Mm -hmm. month as it's getting really cold and the grass is gone. And then after that, I go back to the standard pellet feed.
1: So guinea fowl then would sort of be um, like to chicken as venison as to beef, right? Because it's yep. so, so lean. So you probably have to add some fat to it when you're cooking it, you like duck fat a- or something.
4: Absolutely. Yes. I use bacon fat and duck fat. Yep. Bacon fat. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just bacon it. fat is good for everything. Now, if I could finally shoot a damn bear, I'd be using bear fat because bear grease is so good.
3: If you... Uh... Check your Discord we're raging. I, I I put a couple pictures up there. A friend of mine who's listening in sent them to me, took a picture of me kicking a turkey. This fucking turkey was a mean son of a bitch. Yeah, uh, he ended up going down. <laughs> yeah, he, up going down. Yeah. he he left me. I punched him pretty fucking hard one day because he really wouldn't leave me the fuck alone. So I I fucking knocked him a good one. Um. The my, my wife's uncle knocked him out with a fucking two by four once because he just wouldn't leave the kids alone. Like it, he had to go down.
4: If you look at yeah. Sam the rooster, there, he's got spurs an inch and a half long, but he's an absolute softy. Uh he, I think, is my twenty sixth or twenty seventh rooster. Um, because the others were assholes and got some uh, rehabilitation time in the crock pot. Yeah,
2: Maybe <laughs> better after the Crock-Pot treatment?
4: Oh, God, yes, they were absolutely impeccably behaved so well. They went down yeah. nicely right beside the s- dash potatoes.
2: <laughs> no, I don't. maybe I missed it, but do the guinea fowl lay eggs?
4: Yes, they do. Um, and it's during the summer only, and they are about a third the size of a chicken egg. They are much richer, and when you boil them, you can use them as cannon ammo.
3: <laughs> I heard you right. You said cannon ammo.
4: Correct. You throw them at somebody's head, you'll crack the person's skull.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, just, uh, I just got a picture of a bunch of people throwing them at like the police. So <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, it, it would do
4: it would do significant harm. They are incredibly hard. You really have to beat on them to crack them.
3: So don't do people that.
4: People go tap. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It would actually physically hurt somebody. Raw, they're gonna yeah. knock at the bloody dent in your skull. Boiled, oh. they're gonna drop you.
1: <laughs> I've got a picture of the turkey boomer's kicking around. He's one mean-looking motherfucker.
4: Yeah, I've had there a few mean turkeys too. They end up in the pot as well. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't have any animals on my property that are vicious. Oh, that's a bronze. That's an American bronze turkey. Very nice. That's a beautiful bird.
3: It is. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he, did he was. did I
4: send you a picture of my 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 Turkey Tom? I don't think you sent me a picture. See, of your turkey.
3: Everybody names their Turkey Tom. Yeah. Um
4: he is tom an absolute turkey. Yeah, he's uh he's an absolute softy. He's uh he's a wonderful turkey. Um very calm, very well-mannered, very polite. Um but uh he he doesn't end up in the pot because of that, right? Uh,
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, that's, yeah. And there's two things that I know from growing up that I, I, I strictly believe in to this day, is if they like to eat their young or kill their young, I don't want them breeding. Correct. And if they are violent in any way towards anybody, they either have to get put aside because they are a necessity to the farm, or they just get they get eaten da- Yeah, they get eaten. Yep. And Tom, he, he was uncontrollable. He's too big to really deal with anything. But he's big enough. He was big enough to chase off any real predators at that point because he would slice you. And he, he oh, was yeah. uh he'd get you from behind. And yep. I, I'm a pretty small dude at five six, but my, my brother in law, he's a big newfie. And he climbed from the bumper of my back of my truck all the way down the side because that that turkey just Scared this shit right out of him. Like, yeah, don't let him get behind you. I told you, don't let him get behind you. Yep.
4: Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll I'm sending a you a picture of the... Jerky the Turkey.
1: I'll, I'll pull a picture up here. Of the, the the ducks you've got as
0: well. Hmm.
4: I just bombed you a picture of Jerky the Turkey and uh in in the the messenger. And my son named him Jerky the Turkey. So that is a um, oh, a mama duck and ducklings. Mama ducks are amazing. Um, they will accept as many ducklings as you can give them. Whereas chickens awesome. can count. And once they hatch them, that's as many as they have. So the technique for getting mama ducks to accept more ducklings is to scare the mama duck a little and she grabs all her babies together. And then you have the two or three or four in your hands that you want to introduce. And then you run at her violently And all the ducklings run away, and as the ducklings run away, you drop the two or three or four extra, and then she gathers them all together, and now she's got more babies.
1: So the chickens are the suburban liberals, and the ducks are the Catholics.
4: Yes. Never thought of it that way. Damn, that's funny. (laughs) Chickens can count, by the way. Ducks can't, um, because they'll count their babies,
0: and then they will hone in on the ones that weren't theirs and peck them. So if you're going to give chickens babies to raise, which we do, you have to have them
4: on eggs. And we normally take eggs that are three or four days old um, and then stick them under them and just keep rotating them out. So they sit for their period. And as soon as the eggs are hatching in the incubator, I get 100 percent there. Then I take those hatching eggs and I stick them under the mom at the right time period. And she raises what she's got. And
0: I don't have to do the work. My last duck had 23 babies she was running around with.
2: From my experience with ducks, they are actually easier to manage than chickens because they tend to sort of stick together in their own little army and march together.
4: Yes, very much easier. They don't fly away. You can actually get ducks in a row and teach them when dinner time and bedtime is and where they need to go uh the the matriarch or the leader of the of the the duck flock will actually do that we've got three four five six right now that are our oldest ducks and although they're no longer laying they do maintain the flock integrity so they stay um and they are specially banded so we don't eat them because they are all um <laughs> very much look alike
0: like a duck like a duck <laughs> yeah. How many ducks have you got all together? 40? Chickens?
4: Ish, I think. Somewhere in that neighborhood. I know I put 25 of them in the freezer in the fall.
2: Oh, wow. And how many chickens have, have you got? Guinea fowl, turkeys?
4: Guinea fowl, I have 13. Turkeys, I have 12. And chickens, I think I have 23. Yeah. Now, this weekend coming up, the uh, turkeys are going to get thinned out. They're all up at size, and I'm going to just get rid of the, the second largest male and the third largest male. And then the fourth largest guy, he's going to grow for a bit more. And I'm going to take out one of the hens as well. I've got too many hens.
1: Now, do, do you harvest a lot of duck eggs?
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Oh, yeah. They lay an egg a day per duck, per hen and in what's, the
0: summer. What's yep. the
1: flavor profile like of a duck egg versus a chicken egg? Richer? Premier yellower. Wow, oh, that sounds amazing. I, I know in in Asia, duck eggs are a big time delicacy, and they oh, have they, they have the one um, product where you're getting the the duck egg with the embryo still in it, and they do oh, what's salt the duck eggs. again. Uh, the Filipinos have a name for that.
0: I
4: um, no. Um, uh, I worked with Filipinos for a, a fairly long time, and they they really really loved that. Embryo in the egg thing. Ugh. Just revolting.
1: There, there's a sort of belief a, in parts of Asia that if you eat a live animal, it just makes you stronger, it makes you more virile. I think it's um, yeah. Thailand, they eat things like cobra hearts when they're still beating. And they say it makes you more of a man. Yeah, I've eaten snake.
4: That's good stuff. Never eaten cobra heart, but I've eaten snakes.
1: Uh, for those who haven't tried duck meat before, it, it really is wonderful. It's got loads of fat on it, and you could do so much with it. Uh, a lot of restaurants will use duck fat for uh, things like French fries or steaks. You name it, it's a really versatile fat because it's got a little bit of that poultry flavor, but it's also kind of mild at the same time. And mm-hmm. for those of you who have been to the more fine dining establishments, almost all of them will have a variation of a dish called the duck confit which is food of the gods. It's basically a duck leg that's been cured for about anywhere from one to three days. You just hit it with some uh, like some kosher salt or some pickling salt, uh, some garlic, some thyme, and then you just rinse it off after your cure is done. And then you render down a bunch of duck fat, and then you slow cook the cured legs in duck fat. The, the, The technique is called a confit to slowly cook in its own fat at about like 300 Fahrenheit for about three hours, and then you just let that rest and cool in you know refrigerator or whatever overnight, and then you pull them out of the duck fat. You got to heat it up a little bit to to drain the excess fat off, and then you you serve it, and it's incredible. It is okay. Amazing. I'm actually my mouth is watering. It's probably <laughs> the best dish I've ever had. Damn. Duck coffee is is wow. amazing. It is French peasant excellence and the the fat is meant as a preservative so you just leave those in the fat in your refrigerator for a month and they're still good.
4: Oh. Okay, oh, yeah. that sounds absolutely delicious. Holy god.
1: <laughs> I almost every restaurant um I've worked in that's been worth a damn is had a duck coffee on the menu because it's that good.
0: <laughs> okay, I've never eaten that, but it sounds spectacular. So have you ever
2: eaten duck at all, actually?
4: Me? Oh, God, yes. All the time. As I said, I put 25 of them in the freezer, and I think we're down to two.
2: <laughs> well, I mean myself. I don't believe I've ever eaten duck.
1: Duck is really nice. Um, it's it's the kind of bird where you have to, to split up the legs and the, the breast because the, the legs take much longer to, to cook, so you're not going to get an even cook if you roast it. Roasting a duck is pretty difficult. Um, duck breast is another one of those things you'll see on a like a, a finer establishment's menu. Um, you get a lot of fat coming out of the skin, so you could get a really nice crispy skin. It's a wonderful flavor. Most places will serve it cooked to about medium, and you, you tend to see a lot of Asian-inspired dishes. So you'll see kind of like a either a sweet sauce. You can make like a really nice gastrique with you know say like uh, Saskatoon berries or something or blackberries or black currants that would go quite well with uh, duck breast. Or you could go full-on Asian and do something with soy sauce, sesame oil, and maybe some, uh, some orange juice or some orange segments, some orange zest. Pair, pairing duck with um, the darker fruits is quite common, and with citrus as well.
4: The only thing I know is duck a la orange, or however you say that thing.
1: No, you, you got it and, right. Uh, duck duck a l'orange orange we actually had to make in culinary school, so it's basically just... Um, it's it's roast duck with an orange sauce, and the orange sauce you start out by making a caramel with just some sugar, and then you uh, you flambe it with something like a Grand Marnier, which is an orange liqueur, and then you'll throw in some orange zest, some orange juice, and it a, a gastrique is one of the best sauces around because it's got that nice sweet sour balance to it, and it yeah duck a l'orange, is a it's a classical dish for a reason. It's it's wonderful. It is
0: very very good. The boom is hanging in the chill if you want to bring him back in. Uh, Boomer, we lost you there, bud. Yeah, he typed that he'd lost sound and then he disappeared altogether.
3: Mm, Yeah, there you go. How's that? He's back. Thank you. I've got Jerky yeah, yeah, yeah. the Turkey
1: Fuck. here, if you want to look at him.
3: Yeah, he's a, he is a
4: Royal Palm Tom. So I picked him up for a very cheap price uh, because he was not looking like that at all when I got him. He was severely the underdog and severely beaten and hacked up and his beard was pulled out and his feathers were all beaten to hell. Oh. Um and i picked him up for 25 bucks instead of the 64 royal palm and he's a heritage breed and he is an absolute sweetheart he is calm and gentle he's good with the hens he's got his double um black and brown in now already he's now four years old his beard is nearly 12 inches long his spurs aren't very big so he doesn't do a lot of damage and he has a 100 percent fertility every freaking egg man we didn't miss on one last season
1: i don't know why you call him jerky the turkey doesn't sound like he does much jerking no he doesn't do much jerking but he
4: does a lot of hurricane he does the weirdest <laughs> dance when he wants a girl i'll tell you that and they all come running they like jerky the turkey my son named him so i, I can't i can't attest to being named jerky and naming him jerky the turkey he does a little disco
1: dance, and the girl just just little man.
4: Oh, yeah. He does this weird-ass freaking up-tail, down-tail, stompy-stompy thing, and the hens all line up in front of him. It's
1: ridiculous. <laughs> I think we could learn a thing or two from Mr. Jerky. Uh, I've got a picture of your eggs, eggs <laughs> yeah. here if you want to walk us through the different types of eggs. Sure. We'll this this is a beautiful picture.
0: Yes. Okay
4: so unfortunately there are no blue eggs in there because that was taken after the mink killed everything off. So in the dark 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 browns are copper morans or black copper morans another heritage breed. Um, The pale olivey green ones are an olive egger um, versus an easter egger which gives pale blue eggs Um, and then there are some buff beige-brown colors, or just just standard Rhode Island reds, good old heritage breeds, tough, cold-hardy, don't get much parasites. Um, the newer pictures, um, let me see if I can throw one of those at you now that we've just got pictures of lately. They have actually, we've started to get some blue and green eggs back again really blue and green eggs, I don't know if I've got any pictures of them, Um, but they are almost iridescent blue again, and I'm very, very grateful, so I'll send a picture
0: of the morans, if it'll let me, Uh, so that's a moran egg, they can go
4: almost black chocolate brown, I haven't quite got the brown as dark as it can go yet, but we're working on those genetics. I select the darkest
0: of the brown eggs each year to hatch further. So I just pop the Moran eggs towards you on the chat. That's amazing. Yeah, they are. They are quite different.
4: And we've finally got one of our hens laying camouflage green eggs again. It's freaking (laughs) great. You really have to look for them in the grass, man. She hides
0: them so damn well. (laughs) Um, I don't know if this has got any of the blue in it. No, that's greens and browns. Uh, I'll send that one as
1: well. Okay, here's the Moran eggs that you mentioned.
4: These particular ones coming at you are a combination of Easter Egger and Olive Egger. Your standard Moran and uh, just a standard white chicken.
0: So I got those as well. Huh. Here people go. I'm trying to find my Easter egg color basket. I had a picture of one where it had all the Easter egg colors, and I, I mean blue, blue blues in them as well. And it's just genetic, right?
4: You, you mix this color with that color, with this turk, with this tom, with this, with this rooster, with this hen, and you get out the, the mixes. So all eggs are white, except blue eggs, which are blue all the way through. And the way you can tell that is by looking at the inside of the egg. So your inside of your egg is white or it's blue. So how do you get browns and greens and light blues and buffs after that, because that last picture I just sent you now has those in them. So your layer on the outside, so your hen lays in in, in the process, she puts down the yolk and then she puts down the albumen and then she lays the sack around it. And then she deposits the calcium, which is white around that. And then the very last thing she does before she lays is that she puts a color coating on it. And that can be, um, white which is nothing or a a light brown which is a uh, blood-based color so they actually use their blood in the process to make that so the oxidized Mm. brown of the blood and then a green layer will be a chicken that has a blue base and then uses blood right and then mixes that in and then the olive egg will be a green egg that uses um the the blood layer as well and then mixes that in and then they end up with those different colors in the last picture I just sent you so
1: just just for clarity the the albumin just means the egg white that's that's how the it white goes on. yeah yeah. yeah.
0: So
4: I think I even have a picture somewhere of the whole process how that goes on because I managed to pull a um, an intact string out of a hen one day when I was doing a process. Oh uh, no, that's not that one. Uh, that one's not going to show. I'm
3: sending so you a couple pictures of um, eggs in the middle of the transformation between going from one color to the other as well. Ooh. Well, that's interesting yes and then it's
4: uh i sent
3: two more on how
4: those get laid down a whole box of multicolors and then how the egg actually goes to so a soft shell egg is where they don't finish laying all the calcium and you've got um the top ones are ducks with the circles on them that's the air cell so the top left side are duck eggs so that's the air cell on them so i know how big the air cell is as it grows and as it's 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 incubated um it'll use up the albumen and the air cell will grow larger and
0: there's a specific rate you're looking for to see if they're growing properly when you do the the candling with the light so And there's my darkest three eggs i would ever got, and I hatched those. And then there's blues and greens
4: on the right-hand side and duck eggs on the top. And I get both blue duck eggs, which are I throw back to the mallard, and white duck eggs, which are your standard duck egg. Because I'm running ducks that are ruins. Um, and then I'm running the, uh, the French heavy breed. Oh, good lord brain's falling
3: out my twitch again. um <clears throat> because we're on the top of a of colored foods i know this mm-hmm. is a little off of uh the meat products but this is uh the same person who had those chickens my cousin in bc she mm-hmm. grew some really cool corn so i'm gonna corn. send oh, that yeah. picture as well corn oh She she business. grew I don't the multi-colored know like. corn the jeweled corn yes that's yes, heritage that's it stuff. thank you it's
4: that's heritage stuff. It's got none of this yeah. stupid bloody chemicals in it and that is hard to find corn that's jeweled corn. Oh my God
3: uh, as a shameless p- plug, she's out of Kamloops uh her her farm is called Crazy Eight curs like <laughs> crazy right and there's a whole herd of the family and they, yeah, they just went all natural. They're beautiful, beautiful people. they're amazing. Uh, they're amazing farm. You can go there, you can have some of their food, you can sit down, chill out. They'll make baskets with all their stuff for you. It's amazing. I love it. I love what she's doing. I wish I could do something like that myself.
1: Boomer, are going to the chat and just uh, post the name of the farm. Put any links up if you can there.
3: Uh, yeah, sure.
0: Our farm is called Herding Cats Homestead. Because it's chaotic. <laughs> you, ever works, man, right? <laughs> you ever try to herd cats? You ever
4: try to herd cats? You ever seen the YouTube video on herding cats?
3: Yeah, I heard one cat. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, so here's Boomer's, uh, Boomer's corn here, if you want to take a look.
3: Yeah,
4: I think it's the jeweled corn, if I'm, I'm guessing correctly. Yeah, that's jeweled corn. Holy God, she found jeweled corn. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is such heritage stuff. It's one of the rarest um, corns available. The cobs are much smaller. The corn kernels are smaller. It dries out incredibly well. It makes amazing cornmeal. Um, and it's got none of the stupid chemicals in it. Holy God.
3: That's good stuff. Yeah. She, she really impresses me Like with some of the stuff that she has grown. The, the pumpkins. Unreal just absolutely unreal big pumpkins yeah we cheat we use
4: duck manure they love it they grow like nobody's business
3: yeah Yeah, and when you have all that act it's it's self-revolving it's Mm -hmm.
4: i've got a never-ending supply of poo it's great (laughs) food goes in the one end and manure comes out the other it's freaking fantastic
1: regarding ducks do they have a similar habitat to to chickens or do they prefer more wetlands
4: they prefer more wet, and I have a whole um, habitat I've made down the side of the enclosure for them um, where they, they have a pond that I've been working on for the last three years now, and it's almost at completion, and it runs from the swamp this year. It will be have its own water supply from the swamp, and it will run the water into their habitat and down the side. and. Um away down the other side of the driveway, which will then be used to water my hops plants, so oh, will also grow hops but
1: yeah. do you, do you find that ducks are more expensive to, to raise than chickens? or are they pretty similar?
4: uh, cheaper as long as you watch how much they eat because they're pigs um really, that's interesting. yeah they'll eat more than
1: chickens will. Yeah, they're, there's they're... a serious lack of ducks out here on the prairies, at least as mm-hmm. far as farms are concerned. And duck, it, duck, duck just is more expensive to, to buy at, um, you know, like your butcher like from the Hutterites, for example, than chicken. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, according to what you're saying, just seems like a real shame because more people should be eating duck or or goose. Oh, um, well, yeah. They grow quicker. They've got a shorter cycle. They're
4: better moms, Um, they're easier to train, they're not as flighty, Um, but they do need a water source, a constant water source. So that does make things a little more difficult. If you want them healthy, they need a constant water source. If you want high fertility, you need a constant water source.
1: Well, we have a Um, decent amount of rivers here in Alberta, so you'd think somebody would uh, take the initiative to
3: shit. i didn't even see that (laughs) you're funny (laughs)
1: okay
3: (laughs) sorry juice posted it before i did and i didn't even see it so uh i'm just slow (laughs) i I just wanted to pull
1: up the picture here the the development cycle of an egg so maybe you could explain that yeah
4: absolutely cool okay so at the top is the ovary And ducks, like humans, like pigs, like animals, have a set number of ovum when they're born, right? Um, And then they will go through a cycle, and every day to two days, depending upon the duck breed, they will produce a, a little pop at the top left, the first little one that comes out, and that's the yolk. And then it grows as it travels down, and at some point before you see the soft shell so you've got the egg with the shell on it the brown at the bottom that's the soft shell the fertilization occurs at the one just before that right if the duck the hen allows the drake to fertilize her because hens are sneaky they can twist and invert their internals and actually remove sperm if they don't like the drake and he was too vicious which i didn't know until a while ago oh and male ducks have penises it's foul um they run around with the damn things hanging out
1: yeah, I, I've read that ducks have cork through uh, shaped penises.
4: They do. Yes, this is correct. Um, so they can wind it in and stay hooked in long enough to deposit, otherwise, the hen will kick him off. Right. So once the fertilization has occurred before the soft shell, they very quickly deposit the albumen and then very quickly deposit the, the skin around that albumen, the layer that you peel off when you, you, you shell an egg, and then start the process. Uh, which takes about three days to lay the shell on, one to three days to lay the shell on. Again, duck breed uh, is specific. Once the shell is laid on, then they put the color on, and then the very last thing they do before they lay it is they put on a, um, an antibiotic, antiseptic um, film layer of fluid as it comes out. Uh, so that the egg doesn't get infected because the egg is actually porous, right, the shell. And you can see that if you watch an egg being laid because it comes out wet, and with the heat from the internals, it blooms and dries and goes shiny. It's really cool to watch.
1: And, we, and yes, I
4: have watched the duck's butt.
1: <laughs> we, we, uh, we got into that on our, the our first one. episode when we were talking poultry, so eggs have like mm-hmm. that, that chicken shit coating on them. That supposedly mm-hmm. allows them to be stored at room temperature for months yep. if yep. you don't take it off. And as soon as you wash it, of course, yep. you have to refrigerate it. Yep. So that, that's what you're Correct. saying. That's the antibiotic coating that comes out wet and dry. Yep. Absolutely. That's it.
3: Yeah, a lot of people I know who actually don't wash their eggs. They just keep them. If in, I am going buckets.
4: to be hatching yeah. eggs... I do not wash them, I handle them as gently as I can with as little contact as I can and I leave them alone and I will collect eggs for the seven to 10 days that I'm collecting eggs. And then before I put them in the incubator, I've made sure the incubator for the last two days is up to temperature and up to humidity that I'm going to be incubating at. Then I very gently wash the eggs. I also select for the cleanest eggs. I very gently wash the eggs And then i dip them in a solution of one-to-one water to gold listerine so and i take them and i put them in the incubator wet and i have yet to have a failure with um eggs rotting because i haven't allowed bacteria to be introduced and you do not want an egg rotting and exploding in the incubator that is beyond foul
1: i have experience with that so in junior high school our, our homeroom class, uh, our teacher had this big, I think it was an ostrich egg, just in the back oh of the God. classroom. Oh. And, you know, being a curious junior high school student, I decided to poke it with a pencil. And it exploded? Yes, it exploded, and there was a foul stench <laughs> in the school. It happened right before lunch hour, so we all got to go, Aww. Oh,
2: That's <laughs> beautiful.
1: Yes, exploding eggs, they are, are something else.
4: You'll never poke a yucky-looking egg again, will you?
1: Well, maybe I will. I don't know.
4: (laughs) I know I won't. I've poked a yucky-yuck-looking egg once, and that was sufficient. It was nasty. So I'm sending you the little waterway that I've built for my ducks. It has expanded significantly all down a natural drainage area. It's now rocked in, and it's got an overflow pipe, and um, it's got a willow at the end that absolutely loves the water. Um, So yeah, the, the ducks do their thing in there. And ducks that mate in water have a higher fertility rate than ducks that mate on the ground. So I've got about a seventy percent fertility rate in my ducks. I had a hundred percent with my turkeys last year, and I got
1: about an eighty-five percent with my chickens. So the ducks, when they see that hottie on the beach, they just jump on her, right?
4: eh? Uh, ducks are a little rapey, yeah, yeah. They they will do the gang thing, absolutely. <laughs> especially the ruins the greenhead style um yeah they're like they're like the melods they are a tad rapey and a little bit vicious
3: i'd like to chase you off ducks yeah
0: no
4: not my ducks mine are all all of my livestock is either
3: calm or hand them.
4: tame yes exactly yeah um i, I wouldn't mess with a wild it. melod oh hell no
3: no, I yeah. I was sitting on a beach one day and it was like a sh- a shale cliff edge, so it's a little hard to get down and up. And the ducks just attacked us. They just came like rushing off into us, and we we're like, uh, "Okay, we might have killed one with a rock." That's just a small disclosure, but. Other than that, it was like get the hell out of here because these birds want to attack us. And I'm like, I don't yeah, even know how to fight it. I'm so young. I didn't know. Yeah, they were. They're absolutely. I didn't think of anything of it. I thought, oh, look at these really beautiful birds. Fuck you, birds. Mm-hmm. Fuck you,
1: boomer. That's <laughs> yeah, their mating vicious. ground, man. They they don't want any cock blocks. You got to get out of there.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking Ducks do the bite. dang thing on me.
1: And
4: they twist when they bite, and they have nasty, sharp little edges in their beaks and their wing edges are hard enough to create bruises on a shin. Yeah, they're, they're, they're vicious little buggers.
1: Well, boomer, just imagine you're at the bar hitting on some hobby and some duck comes out of nowhere just to fuck everything up. I mean, you're probably just going to kick the shit out of it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I grew up on farms and and I never actually had any kind of bird ever attacked me but that's the one time i remember and then it was uh uh canadian geese and i know that we were fucking with their shit because we were on a golf course and they oh, really god, didn't don't want us you. to be there oh my god <laughs> they, they come oh, in on this geez. big it's gorgeous oh. but they come landing in and they land right on the the greens and we're like well what are you supposed to do they're like golf like <laughs> okay you get to this like green on this fucking beautiful place and it's just goose shit. They've got the whole green just covered in goose shit and they got like these little special things for you to go around cleaning up the goose shit before you take your shot. Uh-huh. Two pounds of shit per goose per day, my man. And You do not give a fuck about where you are. They just nope. fuck you. They will eat you.
4: And they cheat when they chase you. They fly and run and fly and hop and run so you can never escape them.
3: Yeah, and you try to like do anything it's like me in that picture of me trying to kick that turkey it's like yeah like i'm i'm with a full swing on freaking kick cuz if i get him he's going to remember but if there's chances of me getting him he knows he's like yeah poking at you poking at you he's like a little kid I'm trying to find, yeah. the, the,
1: the, this has been loads of fun i mean we we've learned so much and seen so many different um,
3: different aspects of
1: farm life do, do any of you have any closing questions you want to ask
3: when you move into Canada and bring in your farm with you,
1: he's in Canada. Uh, <laughs> I'm in
3: Ottawa. Like you're in Ottawa? Yeah. Oh, that's even better.
4: Yeah, I've been here since 1997, citizen since 19, 2002. I'm Canadian, oh, man.
3: Oh, shit. Oh, that's awesome. So I don't know anything first, about you. I'm, I was the whole first fucking bit of the first thing first I did time. was
4: I bought myself a shotgun when I could. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have that Mossberg 950, and she has taken many geese from the sky. A couple of deer, a whole bunch of coyotes, some squirrels.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Juicy, mm. you got anything you want to was- ask?
2: No, I, this has been a great show. It's been really good. I've been listening to lots and getting lots of information and I think it's been great.
4: Hey, really you guys are more than welcome to ask me any questions. I'll hand on whatever knowledge I have, or links I have, or downloads I have. And it's, you're the only way anybody's ever going to remember me is if I share shit and you guys use it down the line,
0: right?
1: Yeah, hop into the homesteading channel, man. You've got loads of stuff you can share. People
3: just love it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And if there was a uh, way I'm for sure us my to
4: adventures in there as well, if there was a way for us to do data sharing. I could upload tons of stuff. I have terabytes of downloaded information um, because I am convinced that they're going to delete anything that has to do with knowledge and homesteading, and they have been. Things are just disappearing. Um, and then I, I, don't trust elec- uh, yeah. I don't trust electronics because they can turn it off tomorrow. So in my house, I have a wall 10 feet long, 8 feet tall. It's nothing about but nothing that doesn't cover any kind of farming, homesteading, welding, blacksmithing, loading, shooting, hunting, trapping, you name it. I've got books on it.
1: Beautiful,
4: beautiful.
3: In-depth, uh, your in-depth description of your aquaponics alone was right off. Like, I asked you a question, you were be- above and beyond what I asked. And that's that was incredible. That's and That's been a three-year plan mind. now.
4: That's a three-year plan it's taken me three years and lots of research i'll share the damn plans with you man it's taken me scratching shit together to figure out how to make it work how to heat the ground how to heat the earth bank behind how to keep that as a heat source in the depth of winter the angles and stuff and the math and the science it's it's just research and research and research and research and when i build something i build it once and it lasts yes well guys good
1: this has been a great episode, probably our best yet. Uh, Castro, we're definitely going to have to have you back at some point. So thanks again yeah, for, pleasure, for guys. coming on. And uh, we're going to throw up the contact screen here. So if you guys ever want to send us anything, Juicy and I both have PO boxes you can send us stuff too. And uh, with mm-hmm. that, thanks for the episode, guys. Pleasure. Okay. Good night. Have a good night, guys.
0: Good night, everybody. Yeah.